Brothers and sisters, welcome to the worship service this Sunday morning here in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. A special welcome to all visitors who are worshipping with us this morning here in church or via the live stream. May our Heavenly Father be praised through our worship and may we be blessed and strengthened by the proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consistory has the following announcements. Classis North will be convened, the Lord willing, by the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nasura on the 28th of October. In order to fill the vacancies for two deacons, Consistory has nominated the brother R. de Fris, T. Everts, C. Klein and J. Vermeulen. In order to fill the vacancy for four elders, Consistory has nominated brothers S. Brand, D. Pott, W. Spiker, E. Tahart, K. Van Dyke, M. Visser and R. Zanman. The election meeting for office bearers is scheduled to take place immediately after the morning worship service on Sunday the 16th of October. Next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the morning service. And this morning we welcome Brother Plater to the pulpit. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing from Psalm 104, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, let us rise to worship the Lord. As we come to worship our God, let us confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now praise our God, the rock and fortress of our souls, and we'll sing together Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. Amen. 
So we just sang together, within her are the holy courts where God most high his great grace imparts. And it was in the holy courts where the sacrifices were offered in place of the people for their sins. And it is also, as we think about that, we think of our Savior Jesus Christ, how he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so God in grace, grace imparts to us as well through him. And so as we hear God's covenant law, let us remember that as we see our own sinfulness and help us to see the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. So hear God's covenant law as we hear it in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. So you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is, in your, that is your neighbor's. And when our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was here on earth in his earthly ministry, he summarized the law in this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let us now sing in response, and let us sing together Psalm 46, verse 5. Psalm 46, verse 5. before this Lord Almighty, great and glorious, and let us pray to him. The Lord Almighty and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your love and for your protection that you extend to us, your children. We praise you for your love for us in Jesus Christ, for the relationship that you have, that you have made with us, for your goodness for your goodness that you lavish on us. Father, we live in a world that is full of brokenness, that's full of sin, where life doesn't always go the way that we, that we plan or the way that we'd like. But Lord, in, as we experience times of trouble, 
You are near. You are not distant, you are not far removed, but you stand beside us and you go before us. And so as we sang, if the earth starts shaking beneath our feet, we don't have to feel. If all of a sudden we're overwhelmed by the waves of the ocean, we don't need to despair, for you will not forsake us. You will not leave us. Lord, like a child runs to its father for help and protection, Lord, we can, we can run to you. We praise you for that. For Lord, when we are weak, you are, you are our strength. When we are attacked, you are our shield. And when we need security, you are our tower. Father, what a comfort this is. And yet, when we consider our own sins and our own failings, Lord, we acknowledge that we are, we're not deserving of this special love and this care. You call us to place our hope and our trust in you, but we often don't. We look to ourselves, we look to others, we, we put our trust in, in things and in the idols of our own hearts. You call us to find rest in your heavenly arms, but so often we try to find our rest, we try to find our security and comfort elsewhere. You call us to be still and to, be, and to know that you are God. But our hearts are often filled with worries and with doubts, wondering if, if you are in control. And so we pray that you would, you would be in our midst this morning. May your spirit abide in our hearts so that through the reading of your word and the hearing of your word, you would impart to us the grace of Jesus Christ. Give us grace to understand. The Lord's spiritual understanding doesn't, doesn't come naturally to us, but is a gift from your fatherly hand. When the Apostle Peter proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, our Lord said to him, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so we pray, O Father in heaven, that you would reveal your word to us. We pray that you would grant us knowledge and all discernment so that we may understand your purposes for our lives and so live worthy of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we bring all of this to you in the name of our Savior and our King. Amen. So for the past number of weeks, we've been working through the last part of Genesis, particularly the story of, of Jacob's family and, and Joseph. So previously, we left off with, with Joseph in prison. He was faithfully serving in Potiphar's house, and then he was accused of adultery and imprisoned for that. And now we pick it up in prison uh, and now we come to the, the dreams that he interprets for the two prisoners. So we'll read together firstly from Genesis chapter 40. And then also we'll turn to Luke 23 in the New Testament. Luke 23 verses 26 and 36. So firstly then Genesis 40. And you'll find that on, on page 38 of the church Bibles. This is the word of the Lord. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had a dream, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and, and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there was three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and, and pressed them in Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to them, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. 
In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. The chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So, so far from the Old Testament, let us now turn to the Gospel of Luke. So we turn to the Gospel of Luke, and this is right in the middle of of the, the passion of our Savior Jesus Christ where he's being crucified and there we see him numbered with transgressors and we see one acquitted and also one condemned. So verse, so chapter 23 verse 26 to 39. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, He was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? Two other criminals, uh, two others who were criminals were laid away to be put to, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were, hang, who, who were hanged railed at him, saying, are, not, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so far, the the reading of God's word. We'll now sing, sing Psalm 13, verses 1. And these words capture the cries of our hearts when, when we feel forgotten. And this certainly would have been a psalm dear to Joseph.
So as I mentioned, the, the text for this afternoon is Genesis 40. And so we'll, uh, since we have read that together, we'll proceed to the proclamation of God's word. And in response, we'll sing from Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. congregation greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. In my preparation for this sermon, I came across this statement. Christians are awaiting people. Christians are awaiting people. The people who wait. And if we think of biblical history, there's, there's many names that can come to mind in terms of biblical figures who, who waited. Just think of Abraham. In Genesis 12 and 15, God comes to Abram and says, you will have a son. You will have descendants and they'll be like the stars of, of heaven. But it wasn't the next day that his wife fell pregnant. No, he waited and waited and waited until, as we find in, in Hebrews, it says, as he's, when he was as good as dead, that is when God gave him a son. Or we can think of King David. God promised David, you will be king in Israel. But it wasn't immediately right away that he became king. No, he ended up going around through the wilderness, running away from Saul for many years before he became king. So God often calls his people to wait. To wait for him, to put, put their trust in him, to hope in him. And so much of the lives of God's people consists in, in this thing, in, in waiting. Waiting on God's promises and waiting on His good timing. But if we're honest, the truth of the matter is, is that we're not very good at waiting. When God makes us wait, we often, we often become bitter. We become frustrated. We become frustrated with the way that He's, he's leading our lives or we can often even become disillusioned. Wondering what, what he, he is even up to. We try to sometimes even manipulate things. To try get our lives to go in the direction that we want it to go. And other times we just simply lose hope. We struggle to, to trust God. And we despair of God. And brothers and sisters, this is very much the situation that Joseph finds himself in at the end of Genesis 40. At the beginning of our text, there's, there's kind of new hope for Joseph. Our hope for him is renewed. We think to ourselves, this is it. Finally, he's going to be saved from the prison. Finally, his innocence is going to be recognized. This is it. But then once again, we, we get to the end of Genesis 40. And Joseph is left in prison. Sitting, waiting on God. And wondering if God had forgotten him. His hopes had been raised, and his hopes are now shattered. And yet, as we see, those who hope in God will never be put to shame. For our Lord God does not forget those who hope in him. And that's, that's our theme this, this morning. Our risen Savior does not forget those who hope in him. And to flesh that out, we'll see two things. Firstly, hopes raised, and second, hopes shattered. So our risen Savior does not forget those who hope in Him. So firstly, we'll see hopes raised. So as I mentioned earlier, the text begins with a sense of, of hope. Things are looking up. From the darkness of the dungeon of the prison, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope that appears. A call goes out amongst God's people, I mean, amongst the prisoners. Two new prisons are, prisoners are coming. As the text highlights, they were coming to the same prison where Joseph was confined. And so the question quickly emerges in our mind, what's going to happen to Joseph? What is God up to right now? And before these prisoners come, preparations are made for, for their arrival. And what you see is the responsibility is, doesn't lie on the keeper of the prison, who we, who we met in Genesis 39. But no, it goes to the highest official. It goes to Potiphar the captain of the guard, who we also met in Genesis 39. 
After all, these weren't ordinary prisoners. They were one of the most high-ranking officials in Egypt. And so they come into to Potiphar's prison and under his command. So we see the cupbearer and the baker with Potiphar. And the cupbearer in ancient Egypt often, often became the king's confidant. He was tasting the wine for the king to make sure none of it was poisoned. And so there was a huge relationship of trust between the king and his cupbearer. And as a result, the cupbearer often wielded incredible power. He was one of the king's most trusted officials. And we can think of, we, we can think of Nehemiah to think of the power that a cupbearer has. Nehemiah was a cupbearer before the king of Persia. And he was able to, to talk to the king of Persia and as a result ended up going and leading a new group of exiles back to the, to the promised land. So they had a lot of authority and weight. And so these were very important people. But nevertheless, they were important people who, as our text tells us, committed an offense against Pharaoh. And so these prisoners come under Potiphar's, into Potiphar's prison and Potiphar puts them under Joseph's care. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them, we read. So, so Potiphar had seen that God was with Joseph and, and how Joseph faithfully served Potiphar. And even though his wife had tarnished his name and now he was in prison, we see that God gives favor in Potiphar's eyes. And he sees Joseph and he sees him faithfully serving and he brings them and he puts them in this place of great responsibility. And so he attends to these high-ranking officials. And this is something to take note of because it's no coincidence that Potiphar, that Joseph, I should say, found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. This is one small step in God's great plan for Joseph. And so one day, as, as Joseph is attending to these prisoners, he notices something change in their demeanor. Verse 6 tells us that when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. He saw that they were sickly looking. Their complexion had changed. And so he asked them, why are you so downcast today? Now notice the concern that Joseph has for these men. He gives a selfless question. He says, what, what's troubling you today? Why are you so disheartened? Tell me about it. I mean, if we think of where Joseph is at, he had plenty of worries of his own. He'd been falsely accused. He's imprisoned. He's sitting in a pit, as we read. And he could look at it and say, why should I care about these men? Who cares about their problems? Look at what has happened to me. And this is often such a temptation when, we are, when we're suffering and when we're afflicted in various ways. That we can, we can turn inward on ourselves. We can become very caught up in what we're experiencing. We become obsessed with what we're experiencing. Think about how, how wrongfully everyone has treated us. Or just how unjust our suffering is. But Joseph, he may have succumbed to this temptation at another time, but here he doesn't. Instead, by God's grace, he exhibits the, the selfless spirit of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who had concern for the suffering of others, even as he was suffering himself. And again, this may seem like an insignificant detail, but it is significant. Once again, it's another step in God's plan. Because humanly speaking, without this selfless question, Joseph wouldn't have been in a place to interpret these, these prisoners' dreams. And God used this other focused question to put him one step closer to the, to the throne. Because he would interpret these dreams, and after that, it would be the cupbearer who remembers him later on and says, Hey, Pharaoh, you've had a dream and you don't know anyone who can interpret for you. I know someone. I know someone. Joseph. And so here we see God at work once again. These are small steps, but they're leading to the throne. And it starts off with a selfless question. And brothers and sisters, this gives us something to think about. If that is how God used Joseph's selfless question, who knows what he has planned for you? It could be that God may use a selfless act, a, a question or a gesture, some genuine concern for someone else to answer your prayers in a way that 
We don't know. Maybe. It gives us something to think about anyway. So anyway, he asked this question and they answered him. We dreamed a dream and there's, there's no one to interpret the dream. That was a common belief in those days that dreams were very predictive. They told you about the future, your fate. And so there was this huge body of texts that had emerged around dreams. You had all kinds of body of writings and you had these magicians and wise men who interpreted dreams for people. And so being in prison, these these prisoners didn't have access to the dream, to the magicians and the wise men that they would have had when they served in the court of Pharaoh. And so there was no one to interpret the dream, or so it seems. And with that, Joseph responds, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me your dream. He says, understanding of dreams, doesn't, it doesn't come from a textbook, from your magicians. No, it comes from the inspiration of God. Dreams are of God, so tell them to me. And that's an amazing statement from Joseph, if you think about it. What has become of Joseph's dreams at this point? In Genesis 37, God gives him two dreams. Dreams that his brothers would bow down before him. And at this point, what, what has, has become of those dreams? Well, nothing. And it was his dreams that nearly got him killed in the first place. And yet, it's amazing that despite everything that has happened to him, he still believes that God had a purpose for his life and that that purpose for his life included the dreams. His words show a confidence in the same God who gives dreams that that same God can also make those dreams happen and accomplish them. He still believed that God was with him He placed his hope in God, trusting that God still had a purpose for his life, and his purpose for his life included the dreams. He hoped in the Lord. And so without any further convincing, the officers tell Joseph their dreams. And if we look at the dreams, we see that there's a lot of similarities between the two. Both the the cupbearer and the baker's dreams, they relate to their task. And they also have similar imagery. There's a repetition of of three. You have that that grapevine that has three branches and and that has, it buds, it blossoms, and it ripens. And then there's the three-tiered basket in the baker's dream full of muffins and all sorts of croissants and and all sorts of baked goods for for the pharaoh. And so you see these, these images reoccurring. And what we see is that it represents the third day when their fate would be determined. And so there's similarities between the dreams, but yet, as we see, they have drastically different consequences. One would be restored, the other would be hanged. So we get the first dream from the cupbearer. And Joseph tells them, the meaning of your dream is this. In three days' time, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You will serve wine to the king, just as you did before. And when we hear that phrase, you'll be, you'll, the, the Pharaoh will lift up your head, it creates a, a kind of funny image in our minds. It's not language that we would use. But the phrase is an ancient Near Eastern phrase that was very positive. So what would happen is when the king would come before people, everyone would bow down with their face to the ground. But then sometimes the king would look at someone and he would call them up and they would lift up their head before him. He would invite them. And that lifting up the head also sometimes spoke of acquittal where someone who was condemned would be restored. Just think of Psalm 27 verse 3. We get the same imagery where the psalmist is talking about God lifting up his head. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. God is going to exalt me, as the psalmist says. And so this is what Joseph prophesies to the cupbearer. God is going to exalt him. He's going to lift him up. And he's going to have that same status and the same authority that he had beforehand. And so it was a very favorable outcome. Now, understandably, the the chief baker, liking his prospects, also tells the dream. But his fate is very different. He asks, and Joseph gives him the, the interpretation. 
Three days. The three baskets are three days, and in three days' time, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off your shoulders and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. It was an awful prophecy. The baker was going to be decapitated, his body was going to be hung, and the birds would eat his flesh. It was a severe punishment. And as terse as, as the words sound to us, there is a reason why we get such a vivid description of both of the dreams. So Joseph foretells the future of both men in very great detail. And the reason why we're given such great detail, even graphic detail, is to show later on that everything happened as Joseph had foretold. It's to show the accuracy of Joseph's interpretations. And it was that God-given accuracy that would land Joseph an audience with Pharaoh. And so what we see at this point in our, in our passage is that we see hope renewed for Joseph. We see him hoping in the Lord. He even has confidence to believe that, that God has given these dreams to these men for a reason. That God still reveals himself in dreams. And as we read, our, our hope is, is renewed for him. But then as we continue once again, it becomes clear that Joseph would not be restored. And we see that he's left in prison once again in the pieces of his shattered hopes. And so that brings us to our second point. Second point, hopes shattered. So the interpretation that Joseph gives comes with a, a very earnest request. Joseph says to them, he says, only remember me, this is to the cupbearer, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I've done nothing wrong that they should put me into the pit. Please remember me and get me out of this prison, get me out of this pit. You see... Throughout Joseph's life, his life is just a series of pits. You have the first pit in Genesis 37, and now we have this pit in Genesis 40, where he's imprisoned. And so he asks that the cupbearer would, would lift him up, would restore him to a position, and that he would remember him, remember him and give him kindness. Now I just want to highlight something, brothers and sisters, because it shows us what God is, is doing at this point in his plan of salvation. So Joseph requests to the cupbearer, he says, remember me. And when we read through those two verses, we see that he uses very covenantal language. Language that is used to describe God's covenant with his people. The word remember is often used of God remembering his covenant with his people and then acting. And that comes back time and time again in the Old Testament. Or think of what Joseph says to him. He says, remember me so that he would be delivered out of this house. This house of imprisonment. And congregation, just think of what we heard earlier this, this morning. Where God says to his people in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Out of the house of imprisonment. And the author is signaling to us what is going to happen later on with his people in these words that we get from Joseph. He's signaling what's going to happen in the Exodus. When God would remember his covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he would bring his people out based on his loving kindness. And he would bring them out of the house of slavery. And so when you look at the broader picture of Genesis, this is what God is doing through Joseph. God is using Joseph not only to preserve his covenant people and to bring them into Egypt, but also to bring them there so that they're in the house of slavery. And it's later on in Exodus that we read that Joseph is long forgotten and God's people cry out to him and God remembers his covenant. And that starts the Exodus. And it's that God's great saving work in the Exodus that later becomes a picture of his salvation for saving his people from the slavery to sin. And so already in Joseph's words, you see the author of Genesis, Moses, already signaling to us what is, what is coming up in God's future plan of salvation. 
Now, so let's return back to the prison where, where Joseph is. So three days later, everything happens exactly as Joseph foretells. Pharaoh lifts up and restores the cupbearer to his original position, and he's putting the, the cup into the king's hand. And then we see he literally takes up the head of the baker. He impales his body just as uh, Joseph had interpreted to them. Now we can imagine Joseph waking up the next morning with, her, with, with hope. Maybe he had the feeling, today's the day. Today is the day when the cupbearer is going to remember, he's going to tell the Pharaoh, and all of a sudden the gods are going to come and I'm going to be free. Today's the day when my innocence will be recognized. But then what we see is the day turns into days, and then it turns into a week, which turns into a month, which turns into a year. And we read in verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Despite everything that Joseph had done, when the cupbearer was restored to his place of prominence and his place of authority, he forgot all about Joseph. He forgot all about that Hebrew slave who had helped him. He forgot him. And so there would be no kindness showed to Joseph. He was forgotten. He was, he was overlooked. And so there he was, stuck in prison again, waiting waiting and wondering what God was up to in his life. You see, in this chapter, everything changes for Joseph, but then nothing changes. His hopes have been raised, and then they, they come crashing down again. Had God forgotten him? Has God moved on to bigger and bigger, better things with, with somebody else? He had hoped in God, but once again, he's left in the bottom of a pit. He's stuck, waiting. And it would be two years before he's rescued again. He was waiting for two whole years. Now, brothers and sisters, does, does that sound familiar to you? The cancer goes into remission, only to come back again. The test comes positive, only to end in the heartbreak of a miscarriage. There's some signs of openness to the gospel with, with someone in your family who's wayward, and then the door shuts again. There seems to be a change in, in your relationship with your spouse, but then you see the same selfishness and the same toxic responses come back again. There seems to be reconciliation that's about to happen, but then the conflict flares up. Everything changes, but nothing has changed. And so once again, you're left waiting. You've placed your hope in God, and it seems that that God has well forgotten you. He's shelved your prayer and he's moved on to answer someone else's. But brothers and sisters, unlike the cupbearer, God hadn't forgotten Joseph. When the cupbearer forgot Joseph, it seems to us like an interruption to God's plan. But it actually, that was God's plan. God's plan for Joseph was in the waiting. He was in the exact place where God wanted him to be. Each step, as we have noted, is part of God's plan. If Joseph had been rescued earlier, he never would have been in a place where, where he would interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. And if he hadn't interpreted the, the dreams for Pharaoh, he wouldn't have become a ruler in Egypt. And if he didn't become a ruler in Egypt, he wouldn't have been in a place to save the covenant people from famine. And so you see that that Joseph exact, is exactly where God wants him to be. He's exactly in the place where God wants him to be so that the promises are fulfilled. And you might see that and think, okay, that's, that's great. But why does God make him wait? Why does God drag out his suffering and prolong it again for two years? Hasn't Joseph already shown that he's, he's faithful to God? Well, congregation... What we see is that God is molding and shaping Joseph's character through his suffering. God is making Joseph depend on him more and more. He's growing in, in his servant's heart a reliance on his only refuge and strength, the Lord. So contrary to what we might think, we might think that in Joseph's suffering that God is, ex is extinguishing his hope. 
But really, as we read in Romans, God is producing endurance and character and character hope. A hope and a confidence in his covenant God. His waiting wasn't just about what he would get in the end of his wait. No, it was about who he would become as he waited and waited for God. You see, brothers and sisters, God often calls us to wait. He does this so that we might trust him, so that we might grow in our reliance on him, in our dependence on him, so that he might mold and shape our characters as we wait on him, so that we may become more and more like the image of Christ his son. You see, God was preparing Joseph for glory, but in the meantime, he had to wait. And it's the same with us. God is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, but in the meantime, we wait. Now, sometimes God may change our circumstances. Sometimes he'll take away the sufferings in our life, but sometimes not. Sometimes the suffering is prolonged and it continues. But in that all, as we wait, God is drawing us closer to himself. As you wait on him, he he strengthens you. He refines your faith. He molds and shapes your character. It's not just about the end. It's about who he is making you today as you wait for him. You see, brothers and sisters, God has not forgotten you when you wait. No, he has you exactly where he wants you to be. And so, brothers and sisters, how is it with you? How is it going as you wait on the Lord? We mentioned earlier that often it's very hard to wait. Often when things don't go as we envision, we, we start to question God's plan for our lives. We get frustrated with our circumstances don't, when our circumstances don't change. And we get angry when our suffering is prolonged. And we can become bitter when, when the desires of our hearts are not granted to us. And often we just, we just can't wait. But our God does not leave us to wait in our own strength. Joseph didn't hope in God. Joseph didn't wait on the Lord in his own strength. No, God enabled him to wait for him. God enabled him to trust and submit to his will, even as he suffered in the prison. And brothers and sisters, it's through the Spirit of Christ that you and I are enabled to wait. To wait on God as we continue in this veil of tears. You see, when we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't become frustrated with God or become bitter as he suffered waiting on the Lord. Rather, what we see with our Savior is that he endured the cross. He, he despised the shame. He didn't try to manipulate things to, to get the glory that God had promised to him. But instead, he submitted to the will of God. He waited on the Lord. Just think of what we read of in Luke 4. Satan comes to Jesus and he tempts him. And what does he say to him? He says, guess what, Jesus? There's a way out. There's a way in which you don't have to wait. A way in which you can just just bow down to me and I can give you the glory that you deserve. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to do any of that. Just, Just bow down before me and everything will be good. Worship me. But our Lord Jesus, he doesn't jump at the opportunity. But rather, he's faithful and he entrusts himself to the will of God even to death. And it's by the power of, his, of the Spirit of Christ that we are enabled to wait. He waited perfectly through the end so that he might enable us to wait as, even as we struggle with the will of God for our lives. And brothers and sisters, what's amazing is that even when we despair of God and when we cry out to him like we, we sang in Psalm, in, in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, how long will we wait? Will you forget me forever? Will I wait forever? Brothers and sisters, we can know that we are not forgotten by our Lord. That God will never forget us because of Jesus Christ, his son. Just think of the thief on the cross that we read about earlier. When the thief on the cross said to Jesus, remember me, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, when you are lifted up, when you are exalted to that position of authority, remember me. Well, did Jesus forget him? Did Jesus ascend into heaven, get exalted to the Father's right hand, and then completely forget about the thief? No. Jesus didn't forget about him. 
He didn't let him die on the cross in his misery. No, brothers and sisters, our gracious Savior said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus remembered him before the Father. He made mention of him before the Father. And brothers and sisters, it's that same Jesus that intercedes for us, that mentions us before the Father. He says, I was forsaken for this child of mine. I was forsaken so that he would never be forsaken. I was forgotten by you, Father, so that he would never be forgotten, that she would never be forgotten. Brothers and sisters, this is who our God is. Our God does not forget those who hope in him. And so, brothers and sisters, as you wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on him. For the Lord is your refuge. God will never forget those who hope in him for the sake of Jesus Christ, his son. This is who our God is. Even as we continue in our suffering and even as we wait, he enables us to wait through the power of the spirit of Christ. And as we suffer, he, he comforts us with his presence in our lives. He will never forget us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. now come before God in prayer. Merciful God, and Almighty Father, we, we acknowledge that it's, it's hard to wait. 
It's hard to trust you when our lives are not going the way we envision. Father, it's hard to submit to your will when in your wisdom you put suffering in our lives or when you even prolong our suffering. And yet you call us to wait on you, to trust you, to believe in your goodness and believe in your rich promises of the gospel. Lord, when our lives are in turmoil, you say to us to be still and know that you are God. To be still and know that you are at work. That you have not forgotten us. That you have not cast us aside. But rather you are busy. You are busy as we wait, molding and shaping us into the image of Christ. Not only are you leading us to an eternal future, eternal glory, where you will lift us up with Christ. But even now as we wait in this veil of tears, you are molding us and shaping us. You are changing our character. You are making us move away from our sins and put our trust in you instead. You're creating us to have a closer relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for our our Savior, Jesus Christ, who who fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we might also wait. And we thank you that in him we are never forsaken. That he has suffered. That he was obedient to the end. He was obedient even to death on a cross. We give you thanks that he has ascended into heaven, that he's conquered the grave, that he sits at your right hand as a pledge that we too one day will come to him in glory. But Father, in the meantime, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would enable us to trust you, to wait for you, to hope in you. Help us to see that that you are at work in our lives, that you are drawing us to yourself, as we walk in the footsteps of our Savior and in his suffering as well. Father, we pray that that you would be with those in our midst who are suffering from sickness and disease. We think particularly of our our brother John Jansen and his wife Frances and and the rest of the family. Lord, things do not look good for our brother. Eternity seems very close at hand. And Father in heaven, we... We give thanks to you that you have given our brother much peace in this with the diagnosis of cancer. That he awaits this future glory with anticipation and that he looks forward to seeing his Savior face to face. Lord, we marvel at this. This is such a work from you. Thank you for giving him this heavenly perspective and may you continue to be with him. May he feel your presence in his life. May you continue to help him to trust you as he endures And Lord, we also pray for for his wife, Frances, and for the rest of the family as they grapple with the news. Father, be near to them. Give them strength to trust in you, to believe in you. And Father, may they feel your abiding love and your faithfulness. For Lord, we can cast all our worries. We can cast all our cares and our concerns before you because, because you care for us, because you love us. Lord, you love us so much that you collect every tear that that falls from the ground into a bottle. You take notice of every single one. And so we pray that you would cover this family with the shelter of your wings, that they would experience your love. And Father, we we pray that you would be with those who are are also suffering from the sickness and illness in, in the congregation. Lord, be with those who are not able to attend the worship service because of this, those who are bedridden, or those who are suffering from the breakdown of the body through old age, which makes coming to church more and more difficult. Lord, we pray that that you would be with them, that they would still experience the communion of saints, and that we as church may reach out to them in, in love and in care, so that we would be an extension of your love to them. Father, we pray also that you would receive our offerings for for the work of, of mission work in PNG. We pray that you continue to be with our brothers and sisters there and the missionaries who are busy. Lord, be with them as they continue to mop up after the the earthquake. You be with them. May the gospel go out in this time as well so that many more would bow the knee to our Savior. Lord, we pray that you would receive our our worship. May it be a sweet-smelling aroma before you, a pleasing sacrifice of thankfulness to you. And may you be with us in the rest of this day as we enjoy the rest, which is a foretaste of that eternal rest where we will worship you in total perfection. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
You now have opportunity to, to give of your gifts. As mentioned, they're for the work of the mission work. And I should also mention that before the prayer, I should have just gave a little explanation of, of what our, our brother Jansen is suffering. So his cancer has, is quite serious. It's moved from the esophagus into some of the lymphs, uh, lymph nodes and then also to the liver. And so things are very serious for our brother. And so I apologize for not mentioning that before, before the prayer. As mentioned, your offering is for mission work. And then after, we'll sing from Psalm 30, verses 2 and 5.
Receive the blessing of God and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine you, shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.